Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host, DM Neil, a.k.a. Jote Maniac. And today, Neil, as we jump into the meat, bigger is not always better. Today, I guess our motto is Yoda's motto, motto that size matters not, because we're talking about tiny monsters today. We are. It's We have a running document, and typically it's, you know, we'll throw things out onto the Discord or wherever we can get it, whatever motivates us and put it in there for the inevitable moment when we say, I don't know what we should talk about. Let's check this document. <laughs> Then we digitally remove the dust, and then we saw tiny monsters, and we were motivated by that. Yep. In text, you said, here's some things, and I said, tiny monsters sounds fun, and thus the episode. So I guess without any further ado, let's get into talking about tiny monsters. Let's get into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So usually because I am the one that opens that document and inevitably we, we have that back and forth. And what we've realized is a really good question to ask is why out of the several topics, the, because they are very different from each other. Why did Tiny Monsters stand out as the one for this episode? Yeah, I mean, when we started talking about this as a topic for the episode, I imagine whoever originally came up with the idea for this episode that it came out of just a that would be fun to discuss. And I don't know about you, Neil, but when I'm setting up for my D&D session and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, and I, I like this is all going to lead up to this big battle at the end. The big battle always like, I'm always looking for the big minis that I've got scattered in my game room, right? It's like, okay, here comes the big boss, the difficult boss. I don't tend to go big battle, big stakes, let's pull in the little monsters. And I, and that's okay. Sometimes the little monsters, the tiny monsters, like, are good for the not boss battle. But, yeah, I wanted us to talk about more, like, how do we use tiny tiny monsters maybe in a different way than they usually are used, or even just let's go more in depth in how to use tiny monsters well. Yeah, I I mean, I love that I can see a shelf behind you, and I can certainly, I mean, you can see, <laughs> if you can see behind me, there's, I think... Plenty of D&D stuff. There are six different large dragons yeah, yep. you can choose. <laughs> um, and I, behind you, I can see a Rancor, which immediately like made me think, like, yes, and, and, and then I told my brain, please stop. Let's let's focus back in because I think it also it, it can change those things, because if you think of that expectation of the Rancor sized model dropping down with your yeah. minis in, in comparison, only to see what I hope we talk about a lot is the left hand of Manchu, <laughs> which is just a single disembodied hand yeah. that has the powers of that wizard. So we're, we're talking about ninth level spells. Yeah. And essentially your first introduction to that would just be this regular old hand. And you think back to, I believe, if history in my brain serves me, like the first thing Ed Greenwood ever submitted was the, the crawling hand. Hmm. And so maybe the assumption is it's only that. Only to find again, 
ninth level spellcaster. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There is something about dropping a large mini on the table that before you even roll for initiative, you can see the players be like, oh boy. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about doing something a little different. And maybe that's something that's great about tiny monsters is that your players may think that they're a piece of cake, but you can run tiny monsters well so that your players walk away their characters bleeding and <laughs> bloodied from the battle of these tiny monsters and going, man, we underestimated those things. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to then also, I mean, for you as the DM, think about different tactics, but also verbally really change things because there a lot of times it's on this big grand scale and you're talking about the dust and mm. this, that, and the other, but with the, the small scale, I mean, there, there's some ways that, it ends up being scarier, honestly, because of the things you have to say <laughs> that are more realistic. Because, you know, I've I've never been in a large-scale medieval battle. Um, and I've seen, certainly seen them. But if we're talking about things that could happen to an individual, there's something more tangible about that. Because, you know, a- accidents and injuries that we have personally, again, now I can, I can start to equate that better in my mind than, uh, again, the Rancor stomps on a person. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, okay um and then you know go to that next thing whereas yeah with the tiny creatures it's terrifying (laughs) so i guess one of the things that we should start off talking about is like how do we run and this will be most of i think what we talk about but how to run tiny monsters and the first thing that came to my mind is because most of the time not all the time because i like theater of the mind but most of the time when i have a planned battle set up I'm using a map and minis, but there's a problem with a map and minis when it comes to tiny monsters. Uh, There aren't tiny monster minis. The small minis are pretty dang small. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so how do you, do you use minis and maps when you are using tiny monsters? And if so, how do you do it? And if not, what's your alternative? What are your thoughts? It's more accessible now than I think it's ever been before. Because one of our off-air discussions was just what a person can do in their own home these days compared to what you used to be able yeah. to do. You know, we're, you know, I don't have one, but I have a buddy who has one who's at my table. Like, I get things 3D printed. So now let's say it was wildly important. My players are not comfortable off the grid, and I just really needed it to get done. It's wild to me to think that I could get it done because I could upscale, let's say, obviously, there's a dwarf warrior, uh, you know, dwarven fighter on the table, I could upscale him. And then at the same time, the tiny monster, I could downscale to like a 15 millimeter, 10 millimeter scale, and still have minis. That's a lot of work. Like, don't get me wrong. But but the fact that that is a tangible option that isn't out of reach It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you do want to stick to the map and the minis, you could use a substitute to the minis as well that's small enough and move them around. I'm even thinking about, like, there's those novelty, (laughs) nobody ever uses them, really tiny dice that you could use, right? And if you have a bunch of those and they are just sitting in a bag because why would you ever pull them out to use them in game? You just lose them. 
those could be a good substitute for some tiny monsters. Um, it really, it comes down to if you really want to use maps and minis, uh, how creative do you want to get with it? Are tiny monsters going to be a theme in your campaign? Because you could create a map that's uh, got bigger squares on it and use some action figures for your your heroes of the campaign, put like a circular base on them, and then use regular minis to be the tiny creatures on this scaled up map. You could go that far. That's a lot of work. I would say don't do that for one single battle if it's going to be a continuation. But I, I don't know. I think for me, the easiest thing is get creative with theater of the mind and describe it that way. That for me would be probably the route that I would normally take when using tiny monsters. Man, it's been a little while since I, I've got to drop the name of this game. So it makes me excited. <laughs> um, but it makes me think of Phoenix Dawn Command, mm, where mm. you're, you know, it's it's deck building in, in a lot of ways. Your character and your character sheet is basically a, a deck of cards that you're building through the campaign. You also have one that is representative of you. So the basic the basic general where am I is my card is on the table. Let's say you're in front of me then your card is in front of me or you are to the side of me. Your card is to the side of my card. So if you do so generalizations, I think is also helpful if people need that touch point. But I agree. I think using the theater of the mind because, uh, because of, I think when we're also going to get into tactics, I just also can't quite wrap my brain around some of the ideas I have in my head as to how I would even start to implement them on a gridded map. I, I genuinely don't know what I would do. Yeah. So with this idea of you can use minis and maps or you can just go straight to theater of the mind, which it sounds like that would be both of our mm -hmm. leaning, uh, but you can use minis and maps and there, I, I guess it's up to you at home that you're listening to this because I know there are some groups of players specifically that when they want battle, they want it in a mini and map form. So you might have to get a little creative with it, but let's start talking about the details of the battle. Then the battling with tiny monsters, starting with something that I think is really important and can make the battle more intense is thinking about the battlefield that's going to be utilized with tiny monsters. Yeah, because it can definitely make a dungeon big when you're starting to figure out how many tiny monsters you can put in a regular dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> or it's, or you're outside. Yeah. And then it's just the possibilities are just absolutely limitless at that point um, once you have tiny monsters. Because, you know, you had mentioned it. Basically, every blade of grass that's taller than they are is potentially cover. Yeah, and, a grass, a beautiful grass, a beautiful field of tall golden grass suddenly becomes terrifying when there's creatures that are half the size of the grass that's grown and they're running between your legs and trying to cut you to ribbons. Makes me think of like a smaller version of uh, Jurassic Park when you see the raptor, yeah. the raptor trails going through. Yeah. And I, I think with that, like that is a battlefield in my mind as a DM. I think I'd probably require some sort of perception check every time that a player is trying to make an attack against one of these creatures. Because if they're running around in full cover, not cover that would be able to stop a blow, but that they couldn't be seen, 
Like you've kind of got to be watching where the grass moves and how the grass moves. And of course there's going to be the, that one player, right. That goes, I'm going to just cast fireball in this field. But I also think with that often, you know, often once you're moving down to tiny one, you know, if they, if they can't see them giving disadvantage for sure, because, you know, one of the things is how many hit points does the ti- the, ti- the tiny creature yeah. have? So part of it is just making them that much harder to hit without thinking of different ways that you're hitting them, because definitely disadvantage. I also think of evasion because oftentimes mm-hmm. they're way faster. So even though you did cast fireball, it's not doing as much damage. They should be hard to hit. They're tiny. Yeah, they're, they're, that's just part of it. Well, and Fireball is not going to be hopefully used if this is a setup encounter in which you've been hired by the city to because there's a problem in the in the farms, the fields, and that's going to reduce the amount of pay that your PCs get because, well, they destroyed the fields that they're supposed to be trying to protect, right? I also think of like just in this mo- in this modern world, and it's it's certainly not the way to always um, think through things. Is, is you know certainly having touch points from our from our world that you bring into yours, but it can't be the end all be all. There's just magic. There's dragons. Things don't exist <laughs> and always have to work one to one. But I do think about that story from California, where I am from, where a ginger reveal party turned into <laughs> a tens of thousands acre fire. Yeah. So you choose to use Fireball and you're telling me there's who to stop it? Unless it's you, like what mechanism is there in your world that would potentially stop what is now this raging fire? Yeah, that that field is now on fire. And then the house of the farmers who live there is now on fire. And (laughs) that's probably not going to be the best way to solve the situation if your players do it they may have just caused bigger consequences. Uh, So tall field or tall grass uh, is a great, I think, battlefield idea for using tiny creatures. They're just hidden. Uh, Even, I mean, if you're, we're talking about aquatic, if you could use the same exact, the same exact tactic with your players are waiting, have to wait across a river and it just goes up to their waists, but it is enough space for tiny aquatic creatures to be able to zip in and zip out below your waist and make attacks. Yeah, the other one that just came to mind was the idea of giving these monsters layer actions. But the idea of their layer is just so much smaller. So it's like it you know, you're not give, you're not getting that clue once you get within a mile because, you know, things are changing. You know, it's this ancient dragon, so everything within a mile, you know, it's a it's a black dragon, so there's this swamp, these things it's just you're crossing the river and then all of a sudden, you know, they're getting to do special things on initiative count 20 because you're in their lair. Yeah, I was thinking also of and you could you could certainly make this into a, a lair, but inside somewhere, whether it's inside a, a house or a castle or a dungeon like you were talking about earlier. Um, when I'm thinking about small creatures, we'll get more into tactics, but a hit-and-run tactic may very well be the type of attacks that small creatures, tiny creatures, would use. And if you're inside somewhere, but there's little, like, mouse holes or or whatever holes of creatures that this is going to be attacking you, that they can run into these holes and just chain, go inside the walls of this house or go straight into another room, that could be a, a fantastic setting that can be used to an advantage by these tiny creatures that yeah i thought of a lot of different super fun 
things inside the dungeon, you know, are they able to get through like the grout between two bricks? So now they have their own holes and pathways that they can go through. Is it the floor? Is it the ceiling? Because mm. changing that, either hitting from above or below, always, always a fun tactic. Because <laughs> just because you know we're we're kind of trained to think in that more two dimensional space because you are looking potentially looking yeah. at the grid so much. So thinking to look or up and down is is not always the go to. And just getting stabbed in the foot is definitely what I keep thinking. Yeah. So I think. We could go on and on and create and come up with all these different settings, but I think ultimately when you're creating ideas for battles with tiny creatures, the setting is a good place once you have the tiny creature selected to start with how is this creature using their environment to their advantage. Uh, let's dive more into like the tactics that tiny creatures would use because I think it's going to be a lot different than dropping an ogre onto the battle map which the ogre's most of the time going to, unless it's throwing rocks at your PCs, it's going to rush up to them and start wailing on them. And that might l be a little different than how tiny creatures plan their attack. So what it, what first comes to mind with tactics that tiny creatures would use? I mean, I think really figuring out what intelligence level is of the mm. creature is a really good start because then... The lower that goes, the more I would be prone to add more, you know. So, like, I think of like the abyssal chicken from Descent into Avernus. <laughs> like, one abyssal chicken, I think, is a really good introduction yeah. to the fact that there are many, and then and then you're dealing with that sort of thing. But then, if it's because you could still, because in the same way, one that is really smart is just as good as a bunch that are not in the sense that a quickling it's like a 120 foot movement speed but and it, what if that movement is through tunnels yeah untouchable i'm i'm just yeah or across water that's cuz quicklings can run across water if it's too deep for the players to walk across even waiting slows them down right so man that quickling could just use an environment to its advantage yeah, so I think that that's probably the the first and biggest thing is figuring out how intelligent I need to make them because then I think that really sets the tone for just about anything else. That's yeah, how they fight. Yeah, I, I I think that's a really good point. I think if you're talking about a uh, a dumb tiny creature, they might their tactic might be exactly what I stated that it wouldn't be is the Russian attack because they're not going to. Uh, some creature with an intelligence of two is not going to plan out their attack. They're probably attacking because you've entered into their territory and they're aggressive towards you. And so you're right. I think one of the best ways to make that into a encounter that's actually dangerous is if you have a low intelligence, tiny creature, add more of them. <laughs> because if they are just going to run in and swarm you, then you need a bunch of them to make it actually a fight. But if they're smart, they can start thinking outside the box. Yeah, I think of like the the Vargul. I mean, oh, let's see. There's a pronunciation guide. Let's try it. <laughs> oh, Vargul. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know. Matt, were off. Matt Mercer said it with such confidence when I clicked on the <laughs> button. But the idea that those could also be they could also be a second part of a battle is another thing that I've been thinking about. Like with, with those, you know, you could have gone through all this battle and then those things come in and then, you know, terrifying as it is, um, all the heads pop off of whatever you just fought. Wings pop yeah. out. And now <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know what episode it was, but it was on some episode we talked about 
some creature exploding like a, a spider, right? With the the babies coming out like this. Yeah, this whole concept of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> terrifying. <clears throat> or even or even that, um, you know, you could have something that is, uh, you know, the first part is that it's all of these kind of grouped together. And then at one point they all separate. And now instead of one, now it's fighting every single person in your party. Yeah. Hey, calm down over there. I think with intelligent tiny creatures, the the first thing that I, I think that they would use in their to their advantage would be their size, as in stealth. Like they would want to get the jump on your PCs. They would have a surprise attack. They would use stealth attacks, perhaps, which is terrifying to think of that being used against your players, stealth attacks. Probably much less harmful since they're tiny creatures, but still giving them some sort of bonus to their attacks that are unseen. I I even think of like tiny creatures when I think of um, tiny creatures in our own world uh, that have to worry about predators. Well, they have um, a lot of them have camouflage uh, that they can use to their advantage. Um, Talking about like settings uh, if you're in a if you're in a dark cave and you're fighting tiny creatures that have camouflage to look like the stone that is on the walls around the cave and they can kind of hang off of those walls, uh, it might again that might be the exact thing that they use to attack your players as they start out and your players don't see the first wave of attacks coming. Um, creatures that look like stalactites or stalagmites. Uh, that have that look to them, like ropers, but being uh, really small versions of that. Uh, now every stalactite and stalagmite is <laughs> <laughs> is dangerous and scary to your players um, because of these tiny creatures that have a stealthy way to attack. I also think of having an exit strategy. I think it'd also be like a really prominent for the more intelligent ones because knowing. I, you know, trying to gauge, okay, here's this whole party. I'm just one. I'm definitely going to try, but if I don't think it's going to work, then I'm just going to leave immediately without question. Uh, But yeah, having that. And then, and then at that point, like, you know, we hint at it some, and I know I don't do it all that well, but having a recurring thing, because it could just be that they, that this, you know, again, I think back to a quickling that it just pesters them for a while until eventually they can figure out some way to stop it, trap it do those sorts of things and then have a discussion um, probably <laughs> at the end of a sword. But the idea of like having it be re- reoccurring because they, they can't figure out what to do. Yeah. And I think you hit something on the head there when you said like the reoccurring, because I think adding some sort of, if you're homebrewing monsters, adding like a flyby attack, um, whether they're actually flying or not, but just the sense that the way that these tiny creatures attack is not running into the, square next to your players and just attacking but it's like a moving past and biting them or slashing them or cutting them as they continue to move and continue to get out of harm's way and then you add 10 of the creatures that are doing that and it's just like guerrilla warfare where it's like get in hit them get out uh that makes things a lot more difficult to fight against yeah, because at that point, you're, again, barring some sort of tactical change, the most you're getting is saving your reaction to hopefully maybe hit it um, with an opportunity attack. <laughs> but the, but even yes. that, 
because well, yeah, one. and that's something. Yeah, that's something that I might add for my these monsters is take away the ability to opportunity attack them because of their their tiny form because of their speed. Uh, they don't take opportunity attacks, and that again makes things much more difficult. Uh, so your players aren't able to just up oh, every time a creature comes up to me, uh, I'm able to just kill it with my opportunity attack once yep. it tries to run. Yeah, having having stuff where like yeah, like you said, like it's either always at disadvantage or if if creature has moved X amount of feet, then it just can't happen. Um, I also I just thought of like the idea of going through a dungeon and. You think you you stepped on like that classic arrow trap where it comes through the sides, only to find out that it you just stepped into the wrong part and it's just actual monsters flying back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Why are there so many traps in here? And you're just like, oh no no, those are actually the thing you're supposed yeah. to fight. <laughs> I think of like you said, the intelligence of a creature. If we're talking about intelligent tiny creatures, they are pro- especially if they are knowledgeable about. The dangers of adventures and magic users, uh, they're going to have the smarts to not cluster together, but to spread out for fear of one single fireball taking the entire group of them out, right? And so using that to the advantage of tiny creatures, I, I know as a DM and as a player, uh I've been involved in battles where I've had a bunch of little enemies grouped together and that battle is over in no time because the wizard casts fireball. And if you would like your battle to be difficult, starting all your tiny creatures together, uh, unless you're going to fudge something completely ridiculous, uh, which we would say is probably not a good idea typically, uh, you want to kind of spread these tiny creatures out so they don't just get wiped out. Or again using fireball creating a different problem if they do that like helps that situation having there be consequences to that but um spreading out is i think a good idea for tiny creatures <clears throat> and stabbing them through the ground well and also having those exits be something the the players genuinely can't use so, you know you, you do have to think through there needs to be some win conditions that you that you're processing processing through with these tactics because there's certainly a version of all these things that we've said where they just don't win so which obviously isn't probably the most fun for your players um but but the idea of having it so that there are only like really a specific set of ways that they could win because you you really do need to cater to these tiny creatures because often their hit points are so low um be it like 10 to 20 um, usually, and their, their CR maybe even lower. Yeah. yeah, and their CR is pretty low as well. Yeah, yeah. You might use minion tactics from Fourth Edition, where it's they don't necessarily have hit points. It's whenever they actually get hit, they die because they're just they're puny <laughs> uh, when it comes to taking damage. Yeah, or you can head over to our friends at MCDM and check out their. I don't think the book's out yet, but but their stuff for minions is also really good. I remember we talking about that. Yeah, yeah, where where one hit kills, but you leave the HP so that sleep isn't overpowered and and things like that. But the other thing is also having having it where your players just find out they aren't that easy to kill, which is sure. always super fun. Yeah, what? Who's to say that you can't have tiny creatures that have higher higher uh ac higher hp figure out why it is that they have that but yeah 
I love the idea of poison being used or just even, um, yeah, poisons that cause a creature to be stunned or fall asleep, um, things along those lines. Because when I'm thinking about tiny creatures, I'm not typically going to have tiny creatures deal out large amounts of damage. You look at some tiny creatures from the monster manual and they just do a flat one point of damage, right? When they attack. Uh, well, that's going to, unless you have a bunch of tiny creatures and lower level players, that is not going to be effective unless the creatures are trying to poison your players and it's the damage is going to be occurred through poisoning. Or maybe these creatures don't want to kill your players, your PCs, but they want to poison them so that they fall asleep and steal their stuff. That in itself... <laughs> Can be, can be worse in some cases than, oh, man, we lost a party member. All our stuff got stolen. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, I, had, I hadn't thought about that until now, but that's a really good idea is that the idea that they can physically do a lot of damage is, is tough because a lot of almost all of the high CR ones are because they can cast spells. It's not yeah. because they can hit you really hard. So the idea of either adding spells or spell-like abilities or something that causes extra damage, which is always fun, too, because then, you know, there's a little bit more of that back and forth of, you know, I roll a die and I inevitably say something <laughs> like one to four da piercing damage, give me a constitution saving roll. And then it's, yeah, 3d10 of poison damage or something like that. Or I even think of like smaller things that they throw or drop that's really funny to me. You know, like let's say they throw something and it's like, again, one point of bludgeoning damage. Um, give me a reflex save. And then, you know, and then just this <laughs> explosion of, uh, let's say, uh, lightning or electricity or something like that. And then you're doing like 6 to 8d6 of lightning damage instead. And then it also is interesting because then, yeah, then your players are also thinking more about that it's not it's not that i'm necessarily going to avoid the hit but what am i going to do about that second piece yeah and you brought up something that i was thinking about with tiny monsters which is magic and this is something that i had to kind of ask myself when i started a campaign of tiny heroes in my world and we we're using like uh squirrel folk and mouselings and that kind of like creature as the pc race I had to ask myself, does size not matter with the magic? Like, does a pixie casting fireball mm. cast the same fireball as a human casting fireball? And I think that's a good question when you're using tiny creatures to ask because tiny creatures that are minion level that one hit kills them become way more scary if you have 10 of them that, yes, they can be killed super quick, but every single one of them has racial magic of magic missile. Uh, all of a sudden, they're a lot more scary and need to be dealt with a lot quicker because magic, if magic is magic and it doesn't matter with the size, you can be a tiny little creature casting the same powerful magic that makes those tiny creatures really scary. Yeah, and it's interesting because like they're, where let's say let's say we do draw that line and you know i think back to just looking for weapon damage that's scaling your dice based on medium versus large versus small 
That's one way we could go. We change all our D6s to fours and we call it good. But the other thing I think is like, okay, but then like, is their wish less? Like, obviously, <laughs> you know, that's probably not how that would go. But yeah, it's also because they also become even scarier in their own society. The idea that yeah. their fireball <laughs> is the normal full human size fireball. Yeah, it's basically a a creature that has like an a <laughs> a warhead that they can yeah. use at any time. Oh my god. Or gosh. a lightning bolt or just yeah. a regular old yeah. lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. Do what I say or I'm going to destroy the city yeah. in 2 seconds. One of the other examples is Traxagor, which is which I had forgotten about from Descent into Avernus, hmm. which is a polymorphed mage who's like a, a wise old man <laughs> and now is permanently through a wish spell a wise old otter. And it's just a tiny creature that can cast ninth level spells. Yes, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. And also you <laughs> thinking about introducing a little otter and there's there you don't have the drop the Tarasque moment where it's like everybody's like, oh, my gosh. But then all of a sudden it's using ninth level spells and it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, you yeah, know, because you just hear like this little tick tick because yep. they have a cane. And then they come around the corner, and they can also cast Time Stop, the ninth level spell. Oh my gosh. I want to be that that character's friend Oh yeah, anything else. But yeah, I mean, you could also, if we're talking about tiny creatures, not every creature in the battle needs to be tiny. You could have a, a tiny pixie riding something that's small or maybe even larger as war beasts that you bring in some small and medium monsters into the battle but ultimately they are just beasts of war or the mount of the tiny creatures and there's more tiny creatures riding around just adds a little bit something different to the battle with the tiny creatures yeah i also think of them you know them being this giant wave where they're the front line and inevitably there's something behind it because i think of like the gazer are there a bunch of those and then you fight a beholder but the idea that you know the the air quote again if we just go back to it's the left hand of manchun um you know you get through these waves of ogres and all these things and just a hand comes out only to find out that 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 hand is what's been guiding the battle thus far and then is again super powerful on top of that yeah I was thinking about swarms with tiny creatures and we're not talking necessarily about swarms, but swarms are the idea of like you have a bunch of tiny creatures all together that create a medium size opponent, right? I do like the idea if I was going to use tiny monsters a lot in battle, I like the idea of coming up with a way to have tiny monsters create a swarm and also disperse from a swarm. I think that would take a little bit of math with how much HP a swarm has and how much damage it does. Maybe you could create an easy chart for that. Again, sounding like a lot of work if it's going to be for one encounter, but if it was a monster that was going to be used multiple times, it would kind of be a cool thing to have creatures all join together to create a swarm and then swarm your player doing more damage. Uh, just an interesting tactic that tiny monsters could use. Yep. Before, during, and after. Like they could, yeah, it could be this mass and then they all get together and then you do something and then it all falls apart. And then yeah, there's a there's definitely a lot that you could do. Again, especially because like it all depends on how much forethought you think went into the process. Is it, you know, and you know, I, I think about it now, like we talked about, 
the individual monster having that intelligence, but there's nothing to say that the person or creature or whatever behind that monster isn't the one that had the intelligence and is setting these things up to exist in a certain way. You know, you could have you could have it where the tiny monsters are flooding in and you you make an arbitrary decision that it's two rounds, it's three rounds, whatever. The second you get to round three, now enough of them have shown up and then they form Voltron. Uh, no, then they form <laughs> then they form into something else. Um, and then, you know, the tactics need to change from there. But oh, yeah, that would be super fun having one and then a few more and then a few more and then they, they come together to be something different. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that could also create a different style to the battle that it creates this time-sensitive nature of if you don't kill these things quicker, mm-hmm. the swarm will get bigger. And the um, the swarm being this, like, last level of that battle, how difficult it's going to be is going to depend on how quickly you can kill the small creatures that are that are swarming in to create this, right? So the one thing it made me think of, and I, I only really played the early, the earlier games in this series, but it makes me think of the flood from Halo. Hmm. Yeah. Because if you're not quick, if you're not quick enough, when the little little there goes that bit cut. of homework, Neil. Yeah. Oh no, 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 I mean, never mind. Cut that out. Uh, keep going. Keep going. No, no, but because if you don't kill them fast enough, they literally yeah. go into other creatures, and then that creature gets back up, and now you got to deal with that again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, just dawned on me. The last tactic piece that I thought of with tiny monsters that this one completely terrifies me uh, is the idea of a creature being small enough that they could get under the armor or clothes of a PC. And if that's like a tactic and a ability that a creature has, like how do you then kill it? Do you have to hit yourself and cause yourself damage to kill the creature? And does it do more damage if it continues to remain under your clothing, under your armor, biting your skin directly, whatever it is? I I can just imagine the reaction of my players when I tell them that that creature that is next to them, for them to roll a deck save uh, and when they fail it, the the small gremlin crawls up their pants leg just like freaking out at what's gonna happen now yeah terrifying in my mind and then later it bursts out of their chest (laughs) i mean depending on what type of creature you're making that could that could certainly be a a disturbing feature of certain monsters is uh laying eggs infecting yeah okay we certainly get into it because I've ripped off the Band-Aid so we can, we can head to homework <laughs> so that we can throw out other ideas like Halo and the Flood. Yes. So one of the thir- first things that I thought of was there's some really great 80s and 90s movies that you could go to. Okay, so we're talking about tiny monsters. And at least for this first one, they would be, I think, small category. But I immediately thought of Gremlins as a like a bit of a fun movie that could give you some ideas of how small creatures to tiny creatures can be terrifying, especially when there's a lot of them. And also there's uh, the lesser known uh, and less good, but still something that's worth worth a watch critters movie, at least the first one. I haven't seen all of them. I think there's like five, Uh, but kind of get that 80s vibe of 
small creatures that can create a huge problem. I'm also going to say that another piece of homework for this would be watching season one of Peacemaker. And if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead for a minute while I talk about it. So I'll let you skip ahead now. Uh, But in Peacemaker, you have these tiny little alien creatures that have this ability to take over the body of humans and inject themselves into the brain of the humans. And to me, kind of with the along with the crawling up the clothes, like Neil, you were pointing towards like alien. That to me is a terrifying feature of a tiny creature that you could use in your games. So watch that if you haven't watched it. Yeah, what I think about is um, it's a comic called Scurry, um, where, where it's basically about mice. Um, and, it, and I think that it, just in general, like it's another uh, helpful way to figure out tactics or things like that. It's just, you know, you're observing from that perspective of the, the world is just this bigger place. Um, so the things that they can and can't do or, or choose to do, because then it can have you come up with really cool ideas of ways that you could like you said really i i guess the whole thing is just how can you mess with your players with tiny <laughs> monsters um uh, but you, you know like i said just different tactics so like and it, the art style is really really good on that one so yeah mac smith scurry and yeah like like we said halo i'm trying to think of other ones that are that are really small and terrifying i just remembered a scene in the movie sorry i haven't read the comics of the movie wanted where you have this character that uses rats that and he uses rats that have like bombs attached to them. Yep. And talk about a way that you can create a terrifying situation with tiny creatures, tiny monsters, uh, having them have a, a, an explosive uh, attribute to them that could make a situation scary. The other one I thought of is, and this is probably too small now that I think of it. So, uh, but again, you're, you're you're trying to reframe that perspective. But uh, a good old classic. It's never too small. Good Tiny old, means yes, smaller true. than small, and it keeps on going. Right? <laughs> it is the bottom, so it's yep. everything. Everything. Okay. So then, obviously, the Honey I Shrunk the Kid series mm. to, again to get that perspective <laughs> um, and be terrified by that ant. I don't know if there's any any other ones. No, I mean, uh, the ones that end up being dolls, for some reason, like that's just not like that doesn't hit my my sensibilities in a scary way. From a kid to this age, I'm always just like, kick it. I don't know. Oh, see, I, I'm one of the people that find those porcelain dolls to be extremely creepy. So uh, you throw a bunch of porcelain dolls like that are like floating in the air, <laughs> acting like a de- like a demi lich, the floating skull, like just oh, yeah, replace okay. it with floating doll. Oh yeah, I'm I'm freaked out by it. No, even as a little kid, I was like, "Yo, why is Chucky killing you? Just please kick him, just kick him." But I will end on this because I was trying to see if there was any other ones I could find real quick on the internet. And obviously, you need to go watch Small Soldiers. Mmm, I do like that movie. Talking about the '90s. Mm-hmm. I just want to take a minute to thank Mitch for coming on and talking about, <laughs> talking about. So, if you want to get, Thanks, a- I hope you'll have me back. <laughs> Maybe, but if you <laughs> if you wanted to, oh, yeah, I lost it. <laughs> if you wanted to get a hold of us and tell us how you've been using tiny monsters in your campaign, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode or any of the others and you see fit, head over to your podcatcher of choice and leave us a rating and review and or review because some don't even let you do it. But it always helps us out a little bit each time someone does. A dungeon master gets their dice. There you go. Follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. 
uh, or like our Facebook page for updates about the show. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out our other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, Geek Wars, and more. As always, thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Mitch reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. So if you really want to get your players to understand it, throw bugs at them. Just at the table. Tiny monsters. Bugs. Goodbye.